Hello and happy Major League Baseball trade deadline day, if it was a happy day for you. Too often here in the Midwest, this is the day we say goodbye to our favorite all-stars as they head off to coastal mega markets never to return. On the other hand, we do get to say hello to prospects that will never stick in the Major Leagues. But I digress. I'm Joe Smith, and this is the Midwest Football Podcast, episode 17, where we will be going in-depth on the final two teams in our Midwest region, the Browns and the Bears. It'll be a lively episode because someone is here that is passionate about both of those two teams. First, speaking for the Bears, is a Chicago native, my friend and regular broadcast partner, Brian Rosenquist. The Bears. But uh, hello, Midwestlanders and friends. Uh, yeah, the baseball uh, deadline was uh, messing with my mind today because I was working some trade deadlines because in our keeper league that we're in, it's the keeper deadline date. And I was like, oh, I'm getting notifications on my phone about our keeper league. Tra- oh, that's Major League Baseball. Never mind. That makes sense. But either <laughs> way, <laughs> either way, I'm excited to have Seth here. Uh, not only does he love the Browns and the Bears, but he also likes talking about mid-round uh quarterbacks uh that are going to be starting next this year with like sam howell and desmond ritter but that's for a different podcast for a different region so we do have lots of news to get to in addition to our two teams that we're deep diving bears and browns seth here is a very special guest uh he was my first broadcast partner from what was that eight or ten years ago we used to do that fantasy football show oh yeah it was about yeah ten years ago yeah uh, we lasted less than a season. We each got busy doing other things. You know, that was my first experience as a podcaster. Seth has been an avid Browns fan, of course, but also a sports broadcaster and just a longtime friend. Midwestlanders and friends, I would like you all to meet Seth Vanlerberg. Say hello, Seth. Hello, everybody in the Midwest fans, and then also, I guess, all around the world, because you guys are pretty global now. So uh, congrats, first off all, on 16 episodes going in down to the books. And then thank you for letting me be a part of the 17th. Well, those are very kind words, Seth. Thank you very much. We appreciate that. But we're bringing you in because you have this crazy amount of information in you just busting to get out. And I want to make sure that we share that with our viewers. Between you and Brian, this is going to be an episode where I might be sitting in the back just chomping popcorn, watching you two guys shout names that, you know, half of our listeners, well, I don't know about our listeners, our listeners are pretty smart, but half of the fans have never even heard of, and you guys are deep diving. So it is a very uh, interesting group of mix, and I'm really excited to see how this goes this week. So I'm excited because uh, Seth will send me stuff that he types faster than I can read. And I'll just respond. Uh, can you save it for the podcast when you're guesting? So hopefully you could come more often because I love hearing all your stuff. But I don't e- I can't even get to it faster than you can write it. So I don't always respond but because I, I can't read it fast enough. I'm just not I'm one of those. I, I can't think of something to just condense it down into a sentence. I have to make it, you know, a, a whole Lord of the Rings trilogy, you know, so. <laughs> Exactly. (laughs) Love it. So shall we uh, get on to the news? I think the first news story, unfortunately for Raymond, happened after we recorded last week's podcast because it is all about running backs. It's all about the Colts and it all is about Jim Ursay. So uh, in short, since we last recorded, uh, Jonathan Taylor met with Jim Ursay and after he walked out, apparently it went so bad he demanded a trade. 
Ursay rejected the the trade and a contract extension because you know this is his last year of his rookie contract for uh, Taylor. Uh, then Taylor mysteriously showed up to training camp with a back injury, which now he vehemently denies. So the Colts decided that they are thinking about putting him on the non-injury list, potentially wiping out his salary for 2023. Which, by the way, when I looked into his rookie contract, it is like 7.8 million, but 4.2 million is due this year. So rushing for 3,800 yards and 36 touchdowns. He basically got pennies on the dollar and now he will make over that much combined as or his fourth year will be more than his first year, three years combined, which is still underpaid. And now the Colts don't even want to pay that. And uh, then Zach Moss breaks his arm. Who's the backup man. So uh, who's, who's going to be the running back in the Colts. What's your take on air Is he now the new craziest owner in the league after Don Daniel Snyder left? I think it's more par for the course right now with Jim Ursay. He he is kind of getting into that that whole very vocal owner. At least Jerry Jones has kind of calmed down a little bit. I mean, he's always confident in his team, but Jim Ursay is just dragging his his players to like through the mud and happens to be his best player, the best player on offense, and the only one of significance the last three years that they've had. So um if he's not gonna pay this guy, I don't know who he's gonna really want to pay. But I guess the answer is he'll pay just about anybody else. Um, so, yeah, like what does he do? He he signs Zeke Elliott or Leonard Fournette. Like I'd rather have Jonathan Taylor. Just pay the guy. Well, I do like that Evan Hall guy that they just drafted. Their rookie um, didn't think he was going to have to play this many, you know, this early on. Um, so do they have to save him in the preseason now? Because Zach, you know, <laughs> yeah. Zach, can't risk so, him. He's the only guy yeah, left. So it, it's it, very interesting. I mean, Jonathan Taylor is one of the best backs in in the NFL. Uh, Joe has made a great point that there's probably not another back that's under 25 or 25 and under that you'd want to have on your team right now that has at least the experience as B. John Robinson. We Beat all me to the B. John. <laughs> but we don't know how he's going to adapt to everything, blocking system, catching passes out of the backfield. And cool. so Jonathan Taylor should be getting paid something. I, I think he asked for about 15 million, 16 million a year which is, you know, in a 17-game season, less than a million per game. And we have quarterbacks making three, four million per game and tight ends making over a million a game. Uh, two or three wide receivers on the depth chart making about that much money. So uh, where does it end? What When can these these owners make a compromise to give these running backs a chance? Because really, these these owners can't say no to great talent. And Jonathan Taylor is a great talent. But it's obviously got to be they want that talent at their price and on their, their terms. So two things. One, I agree. Like Taylor is a bridge running back, in my opinion, because I think we saw that great running back class with like Dalvin Cook, Mixon, CMC, Leonard Fournette. I think Aaron Jones was in that one, too. They're starting to get to that 27, 28 year old uh, where they start you know, turning into dust. But. Jonathan Taylor's four or five years younger than those guys. So he, I, I, with you, I think him and Bijan, maybe Najee, he's not nearly as efficient, but like these guys are the next future. You know, that's why it's, it's they're the future of the next three, four years, in my opinion, unless there's some guys at college in foreseeable future, foreseeable. Yeah. Short term. The other take I had too was back to Ersay is. He has, I'm not going to go through his record on air, but he has some, uh, there's a lot of smoke to his ownership. Um, and 
my theory that I was thinking about after Dan Snyder left, and I was thinking you mentioned Jerry Jones, is I think if Ersay was the owner in a major market like Washington or Dallas, I think he would get a lot more publicity and for, I should say, notoriety. But I think because he's Midwest Indianapolis, it's not as um, exciting for the press to uh, put him in the headlines. I cannot stand Ursay as an owner. I think he is horrifically overrated as an owner because he's come face first into back-to-back generational quarterback talents, the first of which he ran out of town for the second one. And he had won a grand total of one Super Bowl with basically 20-plus straight years of elite quarterback play. I, it drives me crazy. Go ahead. All right, I have, I have a very bold question to ask you guys. If Jonathan Taylor had not gotten injured last year, would would this be a different story? Would Jim Irsay had maybe given him a pay raise or at least an extension by now? Because if he's eligible not, for the extension, if Taylor doesn't get hurt, then they probably don't suck as badly, and they don't get that fourth pick overall to get Anthony Richardson. They would have to probably trade up to possibly get Anthony Richardson. So. You know, he's trying to have John Jonathan Taylor at a low cost and and now have Anthony Richardson, this quarterback of the future, which I don't think he's going to let anybody develop him in time. He's they're going to probably rush him out there and probably stunt his growth for a while. Well, so. so the whole point of having a quarterback on a rookie contract is you can pay the other players. So that seems, you know, when, like you said, Jonathan Taylor, who else are you going to pay? Quentin Nelson. Well, they might not pay him because he's a guard. Although I think mm-hmm. they already did. Um, I think the only person on their offense right now they got to pay is Michael Pittman Jr., but that can be after the season because I'm kind of questionable on him being a number one receiver as it is. So, Yeah, and to answer your question about if he was healthy, that is a really good question because um, I've heard the advanced metrics guys say, hey, he was number six in EPA per play as a rookie, number one as a sophomore year. He's one of the best running backs. But then last year when the Lion got injured, he was th- they were 30th in rushing. Therefore, he didn't drive it, except they all ignore that he was hurt too. And maybe that's the point. But I, I keep seeing people agree with Ursay because of last year when he was down. But then people are still sticking by Russell Wilson, Matthew Stafford, Deshaun Watson, who all had down years last year too. Mm-hmm. Look, it – if Ursay didn't want to pay Jonathan Taylor, then all he has to say is we're not prepared to give you an extension right now. Mm. That's it. Instead, it got very ugly very quickly. Ursay had those crazy comments about if we all went into the, you know, if I died and he was out of the league and all this other stuff basically became, you know, the a nihilist. Mm-hmm. Uh no one would went, They went straight to the nuclear option without without passing go or collecting two hundred dollars with by threatening the non football injury list. I mean, this is in like days. The more direct meddling that Ursay does, the worse it gets for the Colts. He needs to, and he's just got one of those personalities that if he opens his mouth there's a good chance it's not going to be good for anybody, including himself in the long run. I mean, this is the guy that called Peyton Manning a politician, told him to keep all the dirty laundry in-house, 
told him if he wanted to play his entire career for one team, like Manning had stated that he wanted to do, he would have to take a pay cut. And we all know what happened there. Oh, Peyton Manning went to Denver and in four years went to two Super Bowls and won one, which is the amount of Super Bowls in, that he went to and won in his longer career in Indianapolis because Denver had better ownership around him. Oh, did I say that loud? The direct quote from Jim Mercy that uh, some agents are selling bad, bad faith. You know, oh, I'm sure that the agents are trying to uh, tell these running backs they can get paid twenty, twenty-five million dollars. They they just want their their fair share. They want their fair cut of this. This everything is going up and up in the league exponentially. They want their slice of the pie, especially when they're putting their bodies in and livelihood on the line at every play. Believe me, I am perfectly willing to pile on to Jim Irsay because he absolutely deserves it. But I will also say that Jonathan Taylor's agent has not done a very good job here. If this was going to blow up, it needed to blow up in February or March. This is a horrible time. Before the contract extension deadline had passed. So you've got that. He's also had this. This agent has also gone very public on Twitter. With, and is kind of rubbing a billionaire's nose in it that already, as we know, has, let's just say, an interesting personality. It's good so, way to, put it. to be diplomatic, I don't think this is the approach I would have taken if I was Jonathan Taylor's agent, and it absolutely isn't the timeline. That doesn't justify anything that Ursay's doing, but this could have been played better on the other side, too. Agreed. Yep. Speaking of uh, ways to uh, play different things, and I mentioned earlier the Broncos had a really good ownership uh, thing compared to the Colts, but that here we are, Sean Payton, the new coach of the uh, Denver Broncos, flaming the former Bears uh, Broncos coach and current GM and VP, the guys who hired him. He said last year everything about it was terrible. And uh then he said he forgot he was wearing his uh, Fox hat network hat instead of his NFL head coach hat, which is funny because I've never seen him rip other coaching and GMs and vice presidents when he was at Fox because he was playing politics so he could get a head coaching job again. What's your guys take about the Sean Payton comments towards the Broncos uh, 2022 team? Well, the thing I love the most is whenever they asked any kind of correspondent or insider or even former player on SportsCenter, ESPN, NFL Network, or any kind of forum, they say, well, he wasn't wrong for saying this. Like, he wasn't actually factually incorrect about the whole thing. <laughs> the Broncos averaged 16.9 points per game, the lowest in the league. So uh, there was a lot of games where it was like 13 to 10, the, the two delay uh, time of delay penalties he was getting, you know, it's pre-snap stuff, all that. It's you got a veteran quarterback, you weren't playing to his strengths. And to me, you know, Sean Payton was out of line for having to say it because you know you don't say it publicly. You don't try to discriminate or drag another, you know, coach down the mud, but because you never know when you'll be next in that position again where you the expectations were so high and then you just didn't you didn't uh, fulfill those. So he definitely raises expectations now because he's just put himself on the chopping block. But to your point about him being right, I forget which podcast I was listening to. It was, it was three or four months ago, but it was one of the NFL guys was breaking down. He said he started breaking down the 
Broncos last year, and I can't remember if it was the first drive or the first quarter. So let's just say it's the first quarter. He read five different plays where the receivers lined up and were looking at each other confused, like, what are you doing on this side of the field? This isn't the play call. And if that's the first quarter where you had all offseason to prepare for this moment against Seattle, um, you're, you're not well coached. Sorry, Hackett. You just, I don't know what he was doing. Maybe he's just an X and O guy in Green Bay and maybe he'll be fine in the Jets next year where he can't, he's not running the overall team. Or maybe LaFleur did all the heavy lifting in Green Bay and we'll find out Hackett's a bum. I don't know. I'm kind of curious to watch the Jets next year. I remember by week three, I was hearing the crowd. You would hear the crowd counting five, four, three to snap the ball because they yeah. were going to get another delay of penalty. And it was like they I had seven delay of game penalties in the first two weeks. And then basically everybody in the crowd was being smart, Alex, saying, hey, you know, snap the ball. It doesn't have to take this long to do it, you know, so. Denver's a smart fan base. Not surprised. They were just trying to help them out while also mocking them. Like it was rough. So, um, yeah, well, so do you guys remember what Aaron Rodgers said uh, in response to um, to all this? Because, you know, Hackett was his boy. That's the, the, uh, the story was that they hired Nathaniel Hackett in Denver because they were trying to lure Aaron Rodgers there. And then he signed the extension with Green Bay and then they traded for Russell Wilson instead. So Rodgers ended up reunited with, with him anyways. It was just a year later in New York instead of Denver. So yeah, because it's who you know, right? Who you know? Very cronyism based NFL hiring. I believe the comment was something to the effect of he better keep my coach's name out of his mouth. Oh, Will Smith style. Yeah, because, you know, Aaron Rodgers, of course, is Mr. Congeniality himself. (laughs) His family loves Rodgers. Wasn't he wasn't he dug up in his hole? Uh, while the while the Oscars were around, so how did he know that pop culture reference? Yeah, wasn't he in the cave in the darkness retreat or something? <laughs> I or mean, it's Dark just Dark another patty cake slap fight that is getting coverage because there's nothing better to cover. So, hey, I'm not going to look into the schedule. I hope the Jets play the Broncos this year. That's all I'm going to say. I think they do in Week Five. Oh, I early! Four, I like it. Four twenty-five game. Yeah, nice. Well, but I will say one thing about Nathaniel Hackett. Like you can brush it off your shoulders because there's plenty of guys that have gotten a coaching gig, head coaching gig. It failed, but so then they still have a long career of being a positional coach coordinator. So, you know, it's it's not really no sweat on his back. You know, it might be his only time that he ever gets to be a head coach unless it's an interim thing. But, you know, he had that opportunity. It was one of the all-time bad coaching jobs by pretty much any outside objective observer. So, mm-hmm. I will say to defend him, though, I do think he lasted the whole season, which made him last longer than Urban Meyer did just one year earlier. I will say, I think Freddie Kitchens, though, in Cleveland, uh, he was pretty bad, too. He was a one-year one year. That was wonder. a brutal one. He was good as a, uh, what do they call it, interim, and then we had the whole year. He just completely fell apart. Yeah. But, uh, before we get to uh, into Cleveland, I just want to stick with uh, the Aaron Rodgers stuff where he just took a $35 million pay cut by restructuring his deal with the Jets. This feels like a message to Green Bay, who uh, I don't think he was willing to take any pay cuts for. And I believe that message is something we can't say on the air. Yeah, it involves um, communication, you know. The but it is pretty ego-driven, too. I mean, all of Aaron Rodgers is ego-driven. Bite-driven. But... <laughs> 
<laughs> it's spite driven, but he knows right now that the Jets are so desperate. They haven't been to the playoffs in 12 years. Haven't been to the Super Bowl since the second or third one overall. You're right. And any kind yeah, of bit of success that they, he can he can bring them and hope, it, they'll just soak it up. They love him. They're kissing him. You know, Sauce Gardner already gave him probably a what a hundred thousand dollar chain to put around his neck, and he hasn't even played one significant down for him yet. So it's well, it's really bizarre for that. All the you know parading around for Aaron Rodgers right now. When let's see what he does if he goes seven and ten. You know, what's he going to do? Hey, when you see the uh, Garrett Wilson stats when Zach Wilson played for him last year and when not Zach Wilson played for him, I mean, all you got to be is not Zach Wilson and you'll look pretty good there, apparently. That's what I've heard, whether it be Mike White or Joe Flacco's corpse or whatever was the other quarterback there. So, I mean, I agree. It's funny because I don't think they need two-time, four-time MVP uh, Aaron Rodgers, I think they need him to be a slightly better version of what he was last year because they have a defense, which Green Bay didn't have. Right. All they need is desiccated zombie Aaron Rodgers, and they'll be fine. Exactly. Now, do you think they're going to sign anyone with that $35 million, a la maybe a cook of a Delvin type from the NFC North? I mean, somebody needs to pay Dalvin Cook and a lot of these running backs because that's driving me crazy. But, you know, I don't know that it's going to be him exactly. They have a good young running back in Brees Hall. And Dalvin Cook's contract demands are high enough that it seems like a horrific luxury just so they can bring Brees Hall back slowly. I think I think Michael Carter was good for them two years ago. He's still there. Bam Knight yeah. was pretty solid last year. They have a good running back core. They don't they, they probably need to add depth elsewhere, in my opinion. Maybe the line. I don't know. <laughs> But we're not here to talk nothing. about the Jets. <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing for the Jets other than maybe just Adrian Peterson. Bring Adrian Peterson back. 38 He nine, needs to get paid. Yeah, yeah, why not? Just keep bringing him back on one-year deals. He'll take it. He'll play. So injuries are on the league. Big one was Joe Burrow's leg. He, he limped off with his calf, which was the tweet. I think my phone blew up with 700 tweets about it, and then it turned out he just strained a calf, and it wasn't a big deal. So do you think he'll be ready for week one? Or do you think they'll be going with Trevor Simeon to start? It's an iffy timeline. They're probably perfectly willing to sit Joe Burrow one week. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, who knows there? Well, I'm salivating if uh, Trevor Simeon has to face Miles Garrett in week one. Oh, my play God. The Browns in week one. He might, he might get sacked more than Justin Fields did in his debut. That's impossible. That's true. That's not, but that's, that's true. So yeah, yeah. I, I think that the worst case scenario for the Bengals is Burrow sits a couple weeks and they don't have a shot at the first round bye. Now that there's only one bye week, yeah. but well, the AFC is such a gauntlet anyways, it's better to have Burrow healthy in the end of the season in the beginning. And Burrow uh, probably was not going to even see a snap in the preseason anyway. It's preseason's three weeks long for those that don't play the extra game for the hall of fame game. So, you know, or on the hall of fame game later. Yeah, he gets basically to uh, read up on the playbook and get strong, and then he'll be ready hopefully for week one. I I do want to see you know the Bengals at their best, and then we can beat him. So yeah, there you go. So other injury news: uh, Jalen Ramsey tore his meniscus, he's doing a full repair, so he will be out till December. He could be back for the playoffs. Um, in the meantime, they did 
already draft uh, with their second round pick Cam Smith out of uh, South Carolina. And then they signed former Buckeye Eli Apple, who is reunited or sorry, not reunited, but united with Tyreek Hill, who uh, they had some Twitter drama back from when uh, Ty- uh, Eli Apple was on the Bengals and Tyreek Hill was on the Chiefs two years ago in the AFC championship game. How fun do you think that might be? I'm sure they'll kiss and make up. <laughs> yeah, now that they're on the same team. It'll probably go away. More like a WWE like yeah. manufactured fight, I guess. I would say that this is so far the most regular season significant injury. Mm, I agree. Of of camp so far. Joe Burrow probably is the biggest name and the MVP, but I don't think he's going to miss very much regular season time. Um Mm-hmm. Jalen Ramsey is a blow. Eli May Apple is, you know, we've talked in the past on the podcast about Eli Apple. I think he's, you know, an average starter. I you're a little higher than me, but he might, he might be okay because they have Xavier Howard on the other side, so they're not asking him to be a superstar. Yeah, but that's having, where Eli fits in. But having Xavier Howard and Jalen Ramsey with Cam Smith as the backup rookie, like that could have been a really elite uh, position of power, uh, you know, that they could have had. But now it's just like, it's good. You know, like you said, Feli Apple's just okay. It's not exciting. But uh, on to the next one, we got the Seahawks. Um, now that they got rid of, uh, what's his name? Uh, Chris Carson retired due to neck injuries and Rashad Penny is gone. Those guys are always injured, so they won't have any more injury problems. Oh, maybe it's something in the Puget Sound because now Kenneth Walker, the third, second year running back out of Michigan State, his pulled his groin, and Zach Charbonnet has injured his shoulder. Rookie second. Has, has any running back in the NF starting running back in the NFL that's still under contract had a worse offseason than uh, Kenneth Walker, the third? I mean, he go back to last January and it looked like he was going to have this entire show in Seattle it was going to be his. And then Seattle drafts a second round running back and he's already hurt in camp, pulled groin, probably going to miss most, if not all of the preseason. Of course, Charbonnet got hurt, too. So I don't if the plan was, hey, we'll get two guys and then we're protected from injury. Yeah, that worked great. Hey, they did draft, um, what's his name, McIntosh out of Georgia in like the fifth or sixth round, and they got DJ Dallas. I mean, that guy's going to – oh, wait. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know. That might be – well, so I think at this point it's early enough that I don't know the severity of the groin injury or the shoulder injury, but I know those do definitely hamper running backs. We are still six weeks away from the regular season. Um, I think that if they're healthy in time, especially Walker, who – is a veteran at this point going into the second year, he'll be fine. But I think it could hamper Charbonnet, who's trying to carve into that maybe a third down role type, you know, as a pass catcher. Oh, definitely. I think the Seattle Seahawks, they don't really have that many games to spare in the early going. They, they want to try to, you know, eclipse the San Francisco 49ers. I know they're going to have to play them twice. So they might get the tiebreaker up then when they play. But, you know, Seattle, you want to try to win the NFC West. If you can, you don't want to be a wild card team. You want to have that, post that playoff game or even get that first round playoff by to get that number one seed for playing in a weaker division with Arizona. Don't know how the Rams are going to be. So Kenneth Walker, I actually really like him as a prospect. Loved him. Single-handedly beat Michigan. 
Oh yeah, there's that too. Like a six touchdown <laughs> game or something like that. That's ridiculous. He's running yeah. through the arms of Aiden Hutchinson. Who's good? Oh, it'll be interesting. I, I like the Seahawks offense as, as a whole. Uh, I like everybody, including Noah Fant, their tight end. So it, it, Kenneth Walker would be a huge miss right now um, if he misses any kind of substantial time. But again, with the preseason being as short as it is, three weeks, do do a lot of the starters who are really meaningful get any time now in that third game? We don't know yet. Here's what people don't understand about Kenneth Walker, that it simultaneously is both incredible praise and also very concerning. The entire second half of his year at Michigan State, his senior year, when he was arguably one of the most dynamic players in all of college football, he was dinged up his entire second half of the year. Uh, with a various minor injuries, which means he was dinged up last year at different points, which means we are now on year three in a row of Kenneth Walker III, an incredible otherworldly talent being banged up. For a running back, that's concerning. That just makes me sad to hear. I love him as a talent, and I like the, the what the Seahawks have done the last two years after you know moving on from Russell Wilson. I think he was a big part of the success last year and why teams uh, actually gave Geno Smith room to operate because they couldn't just say whatever to the run game. Agreed. That is a good point. I think Geno Smith needs to have some kind of back behind him in the backfield that can give the defense, you know, some thought because if you're going to sort of rely on Geno Smith throwing 45 times a game, even when he's got three great targets to throw to, uh, things are going to get out of it. Honestly, I'm starting to think this might be a good Delvin Cook landing spot if these guys are out for any long period of time. Seahawks are like the Lions in a position nine and eight, and they could be making a jump into contender status. And uh, with an affordable if, quarterback. Yep, exactly. In other news, back to the Broncos, we had two receivers go down. They weren't as high profile as the Seahawks running backs, but Tim Patrick, a, almost exactly a day, a couple of days short of when he tore his Achilles last year, he ruptured his Achilles and KJ Hamler has a heart condition and probably is getting cut now. So um, the muddled Broncos wide receiver core has basically just gone from five receivers to three with uh, Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton and uh rookie. I think it's uh, Mims, Marvin, Mims. Marvin Mims. Yeah. Uh, are the left are pretty much the last guy standing along with, you know, Dolchich at tight end. So any thoughts um, other than Tim Patrick was our 18th round pick in our live draft. And I took that over Joe's recommendation of going with Marvin Jones. And I've already apologized to Joe for that because it would have been nice to have at least a guy who could be playing for the first six weeks with JMO out. Yeah. And I believe my cool. comment once I saw the, um, the Tim Patrick Achilles was, I'm waiting for him to blow his elbow and need Tommy John surgery from shaving. Um, so he checks out. He would. I look and Tim Patrick's a much better athlete than I will ever dream of being. But I feel like if he could blow out his skin, he would. Horrible, horrible image to think. Even about. even Rashad Penny's like, hey, settle down here. You don't get injured this quickly. Yeah, yeah, he at least plays three to four games a year, you know. Yeah, but, you know, yeah, I mean, 
bless him and I wish him a speedy recovery and a tremendous quality of life because these Achilles injuries are rough, man. Mm-hmm. But um especially ooh, after the ACL. I yeah, I don't see the Broncos including him in their future plans. Well, it's an interesting sad story because two years ago before they traded for Russell Wilson, the general thought was the Broncos were a quarterback away from being a Super Bowl contender because they had such a great young receiver core with the aforementioned Judy and Sutton and Tim Patrick and KJ Hamler. There's a lot of talk that they had the best third and fourth receivers in the league. And for the third straight year, those guys have both been injured and haven't made an impact. So it's a shame because I do think that Patrick and Hamler's talent is up there with their and, and we've seen flashes every now and then, but it's a shame we couldn't see more of them. Right. And Agreed. then Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy, they're they're on borrowed time maybe too. So with the team, they might try to do a, a whole overhaul with their receiving core by next year. So you don't know. Marvin Mims might be their their veteran as a second-year player. Marvin Mims was the only guy of these five that we named that was acquired by the Sean Payton regime. So that's a great point. So um, in other news, Daniil Hunter finally signed a contract extension after we talked about the Vikings a couple of weeks ago. Not sure if they would have a second pass rusher across from Marcus Davenport. So now that he's there for at least another year, um, I think this makes them uh, the NFC North champion contenders. Right, guys? Uh, I know Joe was very bullish on them. I'm being sarcastic. Um, but hey, I will play devil's advocate. <laughs> I, I, I was yeah, I was so negative last week. I killed the entire vibe in the room. I think you you were you were so definitive. You caused me to change my over to an under. But uh, since Hunter's in the fold, I'm going to give the the one case for any Vikings fans listening to be bullish. They could be a little 2006 Indianapolis Colts where they have the receivers and the tight ends and their, you know, running backs and the quarterback to get leads. And now they have two pass rushers and a safety and maybe they can get ahead and, you know, pressure the quarterback and buy some wins that way. So, you know, congratulations. I'm glad you got paid Daniel, but I believe it's just a one-year extension. So him and Davenport are both on prove it deals and both of them could walk after this year. And, then who knows what would even be on the Vikings defense a year from now. But mm-hmm. And yeah, to your point, he's a good pass rusher. He's never had less than six sacks in a season. He's got 71 for his career. Uh, he's only 28 years old. So, I mean, it's a healthy deal right now. Gets him happy. Gets him back in camp. And, uh, you know, he can go ahead, just try to rush quarterback when he gets a chance. But, you know, I think it's not going to make much of a difference in the win column for the, the Vikings. I agree. Mm-hmm. Well, I do think this is a significant keep in the fold. They absolutely needed Hunter on this defense that is sorely lacking in playmakers after the overhaul. Mm-hmm. That being said, and I do want to make it clear that I don't think the Vikings ha- are going to be bad. They have too much talent to be bad. Their passing offense is looking like it's going to be very good. The problems on the offensive line are largely on the uh, the right-hand side, which is the rushing the ball side. I think they might be a very one-dimensional team that's reliant on outscoring people, but and that's why I don't think they're likely to be a playoff team unless they get a lot of breaks like they did last year. But good for Daniil Hunter. He... Got a contract that he has worked hard for. He's done very well. You deserve to pay those guys that make a difference. Yeah, and um, 
I'm with you. Just back to the over-under. I just think that part of it isn't necessarily hate for the Vikings. I just think that all three of the other teams have gotten better in the division too, which is going to make it harder to win 13 games again. Or at the very least, the Packers haven't gotten awful. Yeah. I mean, it's not like Aaron Rodgers played his best last year, so the bar isn't Hall of Famer for Jordan Love next year. I, I might tell you who I have winning the NFC North when we get to the Bears coverage. Oh, I like. I look forward to that. Speaking of the Bears coverage, uh, Cole Komet just got the bag dropped off at his front door in a Brinks truck. Uh, he got he just signed a $50 million extension over four years. Something about the Bears love signing big money to tight ends like Trey Burton and stuff that don't really pan out. And Jimmy Graham with the weird uh, no trade clause a couple of years ago when he was kind of washed up. Who, by the way, props on re-signing with the Saints for some reason. I thought he was retired. Um, so... <laughs> Yeah, I was like, oh, you're still alive. Good. Yeah, Good for you. So, exactly. So I guess the Bears have, even though, in my opinion, he's been a mediocre to average tight end at best, the Bears seem to like him. Um, he's, I think, three years into his career. Tight ends usually take three to five years to peak. So maybe it's a projection. Maybe it's a, we don't have, we, we need to spend money to get up to the salary floor. Um, but he was the leading target getter last year, but I believe that was a lot of injury-related news to Mooney and Claypool and the other uh, ride receivers and also the fact that their receivers just weren't very good. So he was good enough to be a complimentary piece. In my opinion, I think he's a little overpaid, but you know, tight ends a hard position. Definitely. I mean, he played 95% of the snaps. If I'm, if I'm correct, that was uh, on the player Sounds right. And um, his average depth of target increased in the last seven weeks. Once Justin Fields became more comfortable with the offense uh, this is the second year in a row that they all get the same offensive coordinator and play caller and Luke Getze. So that might be something there. And then Cole Komet, you know, he's he's an average run blocker. And obviously in this offense, you need to be able to hunker down and and, and drive up the uh, defenders when you're run blocking. So he does a pretty good job at that. And yeah, he was 21-year-old rookie. So he's 24 years old now. This contract will run until he's 28. So that's, you know, that's pretty good. They'll have the prime years here with Chicago. If the Bears really needed mo- to throw money out to get to the salary floor, they could have just signed Dalvin Cook. <laughs> yeah, you know, just I'm just sure, saying. Sure, Cook would love to sign within division, just like uh, Brett Farr did a couple of years back to, to get revenge yeah. on. His I mean, he might give the Bears a discount just to be able to play Minnesota twice mm-hmm. a year. Agreed. All right, well, Brian, I'll ask you this question. Who's who's going to be Justin Fields' safety valve? Is it going to be Cole Komet or Darnell Mooney or now DJ Moore? I think it's DJ Moore. That guy, he's he's an all-around guy. All the buzz of training camp is about the chemistry they've already been putting together because, you know, I like Mooney. We don't, I don't want to talk about Claypool anymore, but I'm not. I'm souring on yeah, him. I wasn't going to say safety well. valve, not. But, not yeah, yeah, yeah. But when it comes down to Mooney, I, I, the the big best pass catcher on the running back course probably rookie Roshan Johnson, but I think he might be a year away from being relevant because um, you know if they're asking a rookie running back to pass block and pass catch in addition that takes a little longer than just, you know, going out and running the ball up the middle. Um, so I, I think it's DJ Moore. I think Mooney is going to be more of the deep play guy. And I do think Komet will probably be a safety valve, the other safety valve, you know, when they're triple covering DJ Moore and 
Justin Fields starts running, he's going to look for Komet. And we already saw Komet have some big games on broken plays like that. You know, I mean, he finds a way to the defense is flowing one way and Cole Komet would just slide out the other way and you'd just see him wide open for a touchdown. You saw that a couple of times last year. And I, I don't see any reason why that wouldn't stop. So I think from that perspective, I think that might be one of the reasons why Komet got paid because I think Fields is comfortable with him. But I do think that ultimately it's going to be DJ Moore. Before we get too deep into Bears coverage here, Brian, do you want to run down through all the key acquisitions uh, so that we can uh, reset the offseason for our listeners? Yes, this is going to be a fun episode in this because both the Bears and the Browns were the two biggest, most active teams in free agency, and they also had a lot of draft picks. So I'm going to do my best to lump them into positional. So Bears got Tremaine Edmonds and TJ Edwards at linebacker. DJ Moore was acquired in a trade with the first overall pick. They bolted the offensive line with Nate Davis in free agency to play right guard. At running back, they added Deontay Foreman from Carolina and Travis Homer, third down back from Seattle. And then they added Demarcus Walker and Andre Billings, both at defensive tackle. And then quintupled down by adding three more defensive tackles in the draft, plus Darnell Wright with the first overall or first round pick, who is in wide receiver shape. And uh, then Roshan Johnson and Tyler Scott, uh, who is it? wide receiver out of Cincinnati in the fourth round to round out the skill set. So that was a uh, quite a mouthful, but it seems like they threw a lot at the linebacking core, the defensive tackle position, offensive tackle, and just generally wide receiver the skill position. Especially if yeah. you consider, yeah, yeah. All running backs and wide receivers and also Robert Tunyon at tight end. That's true. That's a significant addition. And well, key losses, David Montgomery. That's pretty much it. Uh, I would sum this up in that it reminds me quite a lot of what the Detroit Red Wings did here in their offseason, not this current offseason, but the one previous, where they had so many guys on the team that shouldn't even have been in the NHL that they were like, okay, we've got all these young players that are going to be coming up for contracts in the next two seasons, and we can't even fairly evaluate them. So... Iserman spent the that particular offseason just getting as many adults in the room as they could so that they, you know, they had a couple of the developmental guys still, but they could at least start to get a beat on who they were going to trade, who they were going to hang on to, and who they were just going to let walk. And I feel like Chicago did the same kind of thing here. Let's actually support Justin Fields and just get real adults in the building agreed and i think i think that dj moore kind of coming into that that trade with carolina for that number one overall pick it it's really hard to think that that's not going to be a win for for chicago i mean basically you got to start you got the first round pick this past year uh this goes into bryce young for carolina they go down to nine and still get darnell Wright, uh a right tackle which was you know, a key need for them on that offensive line. Now they have three offensive starters that they've drafted in the past three drafts that they can all just build and grow with Justin Fields and cycle the three running backs. Uh, I think Roshan Johnson's actually going to have a lot more uh, playing time than some people might think. I I think he won't just be a second half kind of guy. I think they're really going to give him a package of 10, 12 snaps a game. I feel like I'm really glad that you brought up 
the the draft and the the trade for DJ Moore because I agree with you. I think the only way Carolina wins that deal is if Young becomes a Hall of Famer and they win multiple Super Bowls. But this was a big decision because they were sitting on a three-win team and the number one overall draft pick and the most cap space in the NFL, and they decided to build around Justin Fields. They must have seen enough to justify all this, and I do think they're significantly improved. I like what the Bears are doing. At the other end of this for Justin Fields, though, is his fifth-year option is going to come due fairly quickly. And you know, I really feel like this could actually be a do-or-die year for Justin Fields. So one of the things that I wanted to ask you, gentlemen, was you know, what does success for Justin Fields look like this year? Are we talking about wins? Are we talking about stats? Are we talking about uh you know passing goals what are you going to be looking for out of fields okay so i think that wins yes i think you got to get extra wins but i don't think the bears need to be a playoff team i don't think it needs to be double digits i think the more important stuff for fields is to show progression as a passer so i know the knock on him last year was people would joke like oh my god he made three awesome highlight plays on his way to 150 yards and a loss so he needs to be more consistent with the passing. And I think that when I watch a lot of his highlights, it was like a 50-yard catch by a receiver who was blanketed downfield, who didn't get separation after fields ran around anyways. So I think that with a quote-unquote legitimate wide receiver core and better offensive line, he's going to need to make a progress. Like it, it is, it, I don't think it has to be what Jalen Hurts did, who was a MVP front runner until he got hurt and took his team to the Super Bowl. I think he just needs to show progress as a passer because even with the extension, uh, the fifth year option, the Bears still have three more years left on his rookie deal to uh, have that window. But the Bears do have two first round picks next year. So I think he needs to show progress or else – all that goodwill that they gave him by trading out of number one to help him out with a receiver and in an offensive line could be used to replace him. But if he's good, like Hertz was that extra draft capital could go to supplement positions of need to help him take the next, next level. Well, I see him as a, probably the most significant star bear since Devin Hester. I mean, as far as the Jersey sales, just the likability of this guy, the excitement that he brings every time he, he tucks that ball and he runs it, he's good for possibly 50, 60 yards and getting that score. Uh, the problem is the Bears haven't been scoring a lot right now. So they have to up the offense. Uh, they're going to probably do a little bit more in the passing game. They will cycle through the running backs. Systematically, you know, are you looking for a leap that Lamar Jackson did when he was MVP of the league in his second year? I don't necessarily know, but I like the pieces that he has here in Chicago a little bit more than Lamar did in his second year in Baltimore. So I think DJ Moore is right up there with Mark Marquise Brown. Hmm. Interesting and, point. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, I'm going to go back a, a little bit earlier with talking about the team building, because I think that the bears have done a really underrated job. Like you mentioned, they got three offensive linemen. That was Braxton Jones. I think was a fifth rounder last year. They got, you know, um, Darnell Wright first rounder this year. And they got Tevin Jenkins who had a 
crazy career where he was drafted to be with Justin Fields, hurt his back. He's played every position on the offensive line. He was demanding trades a year ago, and he ended up being the highest graded player playing right guard for the Bears last year after he played three positions, I think. And now they're moving him back to left guard to make room for Nate Davis. But I think that the way they built it with those extra three uh, former you know, rookie contract guys, along with uh, veteran center Cody Whitehair, if, he, if Cody Whitehair is your fourth best lineman, suddenly that offensive line that was one of the worst in the league going into last season could be pretty good. Now, when you look at their splits, they are much better at run blocking than pass blocking. But so there still needs to be improvement on that. I would also say, though, that the offensive line for the Bears this year is much more athletic, even as run blocking than they were last year. And that's huge for the personnel that the Bears have. If you're athletic, now you've opened up the screen game mm-hmm. with screens to DJ Moore, which is the strength of his game screens to uh, Khalil Herbert. You can move the pocket around with. Uh, more of Fields' athleticism. You can maybe sneak guys around pull blocks and just all kinds more things you can do to vary up what you're doing and surprise the other team so it's not just butt heads with the guy directly in front of you on every play. And one thing I like about Darnell Wright, even though we haven't seen him play in the NFL yet, was he's got this weird rookie uh, profile where most of these big guys are run blocking maulers that they have to teach how to pass block. He's the opposite where he was like a 340 pound guy with great footwork that could pass block, but he would overextend on his run blocks and whiff. And I think that's easier to teach the running block, you know, not missing your run block, just get a hold of the guy. You don't have to pancake him every time. And I think that's going to lead to better development. Plus he came in, uh, I don't know if you heard that training camp story. He came in thinking that uh, he had to uh, do the conditioning drills of the wide receivers. So he absolutely dominated (laughs) his conditioning drills. Now that might be a worry too, because he might not have a good attention to detail of what he's supposed to be doing on a play if he didn't know which conditioning drill he was supposed to be in. But <laughs> he should be in condition to, uh, you know, stay in front of the pass rushers. In my opinion, you had something, Seth. Oh yeah, and uh, also on the offensive line, I think Larry Borum. He was a pick in 2021. He's got 17 starts under his belt already, too. So that's just another depth piece that they have on the offensive line. I think he's a more than capable swing starter. He's a great sixth guy, in my opinion, to your point. I think, um, yeah, he started last year nine games. And now Braxton Jones, I think, is taking his spot right there on the line right now to plug it in. And I think Borum was one of those guys who was a fifth or sixth round pick. He was from a smaller school. He was like 360 pound, good run blocker that had to be taught how to pass block, like one of those project types. And coming into year three, I think he was the same draft as Tevin Jenkins. That is a really good piece that I think if he was, if he, this version of Borum would be a starter two years ago and probably the best Mm -hmm. lineman on the team. Now he's their sixth. And I think that's a good point. The depth matters. And I think that the Bears have did a good job and then the other thing, too, is everyone said they did the Bears, uh, uh, Justin Fields dirty last year by drafting back to back defensive backs in the second round. But I think that ultimately pays off because those guys take a couple of years to develop. Fields still proved he could be a good receiver or quarterback despite sub average offensive line in one of the worst receiver cores, which, by the way, on paper in the season, they were bad. And then they got worse because they got in a lot of injuries last year. 
And I think both of those are going to get better because I think that first overall pick turning it into DJ Moore and Darnell Wright alone is, I don't even care that they got other stuff, but it matters that they did. They got an extra second rounder and a first rounder come in and stuff. So I'm excited. Um, and I think that your point about Roshan Johnson, I agree. I think his talent is really good. I just think when people are pushing him up the depth chart, they're selling short how good Khalil Herbert was the last two years when he played. And Deontay Foreman was a top 10 running back in efficiency. Now, granted, he wasn't a third down back type, but he was really good in Carolina last year after they traded Christian McCaffrey. And I think just that I just think it's going to be harder for him to pull snaps away from those two guys this year, barring injury, but he could easily be the number one guy in a fantasy top five player year two, in my opinion, I wouldn't be surprised because I think he's got a better all around skill set than Herbert and uh, Foreman who are more two down backs. Mm-hmm. And I think anybody that is a bears fan that loves watching the bears games, they're going to probably end pretty quick. Cause I, I have a feeling that they're going to just run a lot of, a lot of clock, and these games are going to be done by 3.50 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. Mm-hmm. Or I guess, uh, was it Central? <laughs> Central time, yeah. Yeah, and um, and the other thing, too, is I just think as a whole for the Bears, they were kind of the opposite of last year's Vikings where the Bears won 30 games, but they were in almost all of them. It was kind of shocking. I remember the first halfway through the season, I was frustrated about how the Bears could be a playoff contender. And then the second half of the season, I'm like, no, 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 good. Keep losing. Let's get the number one overall pick. <laughs> one of those things. And it was, they were exciting losses. It was, it's hard to describe, but I don't think I've ever had more fun watching a team get worse in the league than I did watching the Bears last year. And maybe that's my homerism. Maybe you guys know what I'm talking about, but I felt like, they were losing, but they showed flashes and building pieces like Braxton Jones, like uh, Justin Fields, in my opinion, um, and uh, Jack Sanborn, undrafted linebacker, who's now going to be the third best linebacker instead of the best linebacker. So on to the next stuff, uh, coaching staff. What do you guys think about the Bears coaching staff? Are you sold on Eberflus, uh, former defensive coordinator from Raymond's Colts? And um, Getsy, I think it's Luke Getsy's offensive coordinator. Uh, well, actually, you know, I think it's kind of bizarre how some teams, you know, if they have an offensive minded head coach and then they move away from him like they did with Nagy, then they kind of automatically go to the opposite side and they got a defensive coordinator as a coach and a defensive mind. So Everflus, you know, he's he was solid in Indianapolis. They worked up and built up the linebacking core uh, very well. Uh, drafting wise, he's got a good GM that seems to work in sync with him. Um, together, they've had what now 21 draft picks selections that they have on their young team to build from. And let's see how many of those guys four or five years down the line are still with the team. Uh, Luke Getze, you know, he was a former quarterback in college, uh, I think the University of Akron. Um, so he's going to be there in, in the ear of Justin Fields, working on his mechanics, working on his delivery and making sure he doesn't hone in on just one person. I know DJ Moore might be the most talented target, uh, but just don't hone in on him if it's if it's not there. Don't go into double coverage. If Darnell Mooney's there for a four-yard out, just take the easy easy throw. So I, I think I was impressed by Eberflus. I didn't really know who he was until the Bears signed him, and I looked back on him, and the Colts did not – invest a lot of defensive capital into that team, but he still got good a return on it. And I think he, 
the Bears defense wasn't good, but oof, no pass rushers, no linebackers, and a bunch of young defensive backs is not a good recipe for success. And I think that um, Ryan Poles, the manager, rewarded uh, Everflus for his patience last year by going out and breaking the bank on those two linebackers, TJ Edwards and Tremaine Edmonds. And because he liked to build that his defense, the linebacker core like the I think it was Shaquille Leonard in uh, Indianapolis. And he was schematically pretty sound. And even Getsy, I think the other thing I like about what Everflus has done, which a lot of defensive minded head coaches go super conservative on the offense. I mean, we lived it for a decade with Lovey Smith, where they just want to run the ball and shorten the game to protect their defense. I think that Everflus let Getsy just let it rip. I mean, Fields would throw the ball downfield. He was allowed to and stuff. And I think that was uh, good. He let the offensive coach coach. To, to your point about the ability of Everflus to manage the game, one of the unsung heroes for the Bears last year was outside linebacker Jack Sanborn. He was an uh, undrafted outside linebacker that they threw into the fire after they dealt Roquan Smith, and he was good. He's at a fan le- favorite. At, at least serviceable. Could so, be number three now. That's really good. Yeah, so he's. it looks like they're going to go forward with him, and I think he could be in line for a nice contract if he gets uh, if he continues to play well. Mm-hmm. And one thing I thought was interesting was one of my favorite nuggets that I read about the Bears offensive coordinator. I think it was on The Athletic. I think it was Robert Mays talking about it early in the offseason was the Chiefs studied the game plan that the Bears used against the Eagles when they played late in the season in order to attack the Eagles in the Super Bowl, which to me, that is an insane sentence to read out loud that the Super Bowl champion Chiefs said, hey, that last place 32nd best team, we're going to do what they do, which tells me that schematically the Bears were pretty good from an offensive and co- uh, you know coaching standpoint. Um, they just didn't have the talent. Now, I think the big question will be coming into year three of Matt Everflus is, is he a leader of men? Because the Mark Tressman era in Chicago was great schematically offensively. Like that first year with uh, they were really good. The defense fell apart. And the second year, the locker room, he completely lost it. And he only lasted two years because coming from the CFL, apparently he just didn't know how to handle all the egos in the NFL. And knock on wood, I think that's going to be the big question mark with Everflus. As he gets more and more talent, it gets harder to coach him. Just ask, you know, Doug Collins for the Bulls as he gave way to Phil Jackson Hmm. in the 90s. You know, there's a difference between handling a bunch of guys trying to make the team versus a lot of high talented, high priced free agencies and high drafted guys with their egos. So I think that's where Everflus is going to have to go beyond just the X's and O's, which he's shown he's been pretty good at. Happy to be there versus not happy with seven million a year. Exactly. And I'd like to see, you know, regardless of how the season's going, if they only have two or three wins by the trade deadline, I want them to be buyers. I want them to go ahead, use some of that cap space and actually buy buy a good veteran uh, who's coming on to, you know, a good contract or a good part of their prime. To your point, though, about buyers, though, I still think that they've blitzed every position except for pass rusher. They added five defensive tackles, but nobody in defensive end. And with Yannick and Gawkway out there from his Colts, Eberflutes ties is surprising. They haven't signed him. And like a lot of people think that he's a great destination because he is the youngest of the elite pass rushers still left on the market. 
And the Bears have the most money and they're the youngest team most willing to sign someone like that to a longer term deal, a three or four year deal. So that seems like a no brainer, in my opinion. And then once you get that first pass rusher, I think it's easy to call up the Justin Houston types and the Mark Melvin Ingrams, who I think already signed and just say, hey, we just need you. You're the final piece. Look at what we've done in the offseason. But they haven't done it yet. So I don't I don't know. Maybe they see something in the guys they have in camp that they like better than you know we we're seeing outside of camp or maybe they're ready to airdrop in a defensive pass rusher or at least a rotational guy well what i'm thinking is and i still don't think they have enough pass rush but i think that Great. they have made a concerted effort to have an interior pass rush and maybe they're trying to go uh, a little bit cheaper on the outside because they're bringing in guys that are going to disrupt the pocket going straight up the middle mm-hmm. That, I mean, if you're bringing in five defensive tackles in one offseason, which I think they pretty much did, that's got to be <laughs> part did. of the plan. <laughs> yeah. But let's look at the team as a whole here. The Vegas over-under on wins for the Chicago Bears is seven and a half. Seth, do you think they're going to be over that or under that, and why? I think they're going to be just under that. I'm going to think they're going to be a seven and ten record. Again, I think it's it's going to be one of those things that they can score more than 24 points in a given game, they'll be in it. But some of these teams, the high-powered offenses, all you need to do on Chicago right now, the blueprint, get 24 points or more and see if they can even try to come close to, to matching that or eclipsing it. To me, it all comes down to just how good is Justin Fields. Does he make the jump this year? Because if we get something that approaches MVP Lamar Jackson – they could win this division. And if we get something that looks like he's got the moves of Barry Sanders and the speed of a corner and the toughness of a linebacker, but he throws like one too, then this could be (laughs) way under. I really like where they're going. Continuing my Red Wings analogy, this is a team that is going to be much improved from last year and they will show flashes of contention, but I don't think they're a playoff team. If they are over, they're going to be barely over. I'm going to take, like my good friend Seth, a gentle under. So I will say this. That is a pretty big boom. That means they're winning twice as many games if they're winning yeah, seven. They're doubling their win they won right. three games last year. Um, as I kind of alluded to it earlier in the uh, in the podcast, they were the bizarro Vikings where if you look at their close game where like Dolphins fans agreed that they got hosed, the Bears got hosed against them. And then the Vi- the Washington game, they lost by getting the ball down to the one-inch line, et cetera. Um, I think the Bears were a three-win team that was actually more of a five- or six-win team that has massively improved on everywhere. I think one of the underrated improvements we didn't even talk about was the secondary is very young. They have a lot of first and second year defensive backs. And I think Mm. those guys tend to make leaps in years two and three. And I think that secondary is going to be massively improved, especially with the linebacker core upgraded. And I do think that they are going to be adding another pass rusher or two. And I think that that could turbocharge them in the way that the 2018 Bears turbocharged their defense by trading for Khalil Mack. Maybe not to that level. I'm not saying they'll be in top three defense, but if that defense gets to a top, you know, 20, maybe even 16 average, I could see the Bears. I honestly think they're going to be way over. 
I don't have them winning the division. I have Detroit winning the division, but I'm also very high on Detroit. But I think the Bears are a double-digit win team this year. Well, I, I like the boldness of their GM, and I like how he works with their head coach. So anything can happen. Trade deadline, I'd like to see him again be buyers of some kind. Uh, they don't really have anybody else to sell. They they got rid of Raquan Smith last year, and the year before that, Khalil Mel back. So basically, and, um, we, we have to Robert just be adding veterans. Over Robert Quinn. This is a fast rising team that this may be the last time in a while that there will be large numbers of people saying, I don't think this is a division title contention team. This is a team going in the right direction fast. So as bold as I am on the 10 wins and plus, I do think that their path is very similar to what we saw Detroit do last year where they were nine into eight or Philadelphia two years ago where they surprised everyone by making the playoffs at, I think it was eight and nine or nine and 10. So I think realistically they're probably an eight or nine win team, but regardless, I think they're, I, I, I have them as a smash over if there's over a seven and a half, which I agree might be a little insane considering they only won three. So I can see your point, you know, about even a seven win team would be a success in my opinion, especially if fields shows progress, but I love them this year. And that's just the one bears fan in the room, but it's, it's weird. <laughs> it's weird having hope in my opinion. So I'm just going to ride this feeling, you know, speaking yeah. of hope and teams that I think possibly could be pushing ahead, the Cleveland Browns um, last year, they made the big splash play with uh, trading for Deshaun Watson, who within didn't play for 13 games and looked very rusty. But this offseason, they added they they hammered the defensive line. They added Delvin Tomlinson and Zendaria Smith from uh, Minnesota, as well as three other defensive linemen in free agency alone. Um, and a wide receiver, they added Elijah Moore via trade, Cedric Tillman with their first draft pick of the uh, third round, and uh, Sika out of Baylor at defensive tackle, another defensive lineman, as well as a couple bargain, in my opinion, Dewan Jones, who was considered a first-round talent at offensive tackle, who they got in the fourth round. That's ridiculous. And then Luke Weipler was a second- or third-round talent t- center. They got him all the way down at sixth round. Those are two of the best picks of the draft. I don't even care if you're a Buckeye. I think that's absurd that they fell down that far. Now, they did lose a lot of players. They lost Kareem Hunt and Dearness Johnson at running back, as well as the yearly Jadavian Clowney saber-rattling for a longer contract, but selling for one year, he's walked. Uh, John Johnson at free free safety left, as well as a couple other guys at cornerback, linebacker, Deion Jones notably, and their backup quarterback, and just hope Beaver set. So I'd like to see, um, Seth, you're the resident Browns guy. What's your take on this, uh, uh, all the overall off-season acquisitions and losses, do you think they are improved over last year or worse? Well, I definitely think they're over, uh, they're improved from last year. And uh, I was listening to your earlier podcast. I've listened to them all. Nice. And uh, you guys have kind of hinted Thank you. that uh, Cleveland could be a sneaky playoff contender and possibly Super Bowl if everything lines up correctly for them. It is a tough AFC. But um, really, as far as the pieces, they're there. Um, they got four cornerstone pieces, one at the quarterback position with Deshaun Watson now, Nick Chubb at running back, Miles Garrett as edge rush, and Denzel Ward, who can be a shutdown corner in blips. We want him to be a little more consistent with that. Uh, Amari Cooper, you know, love, love him or hate him. He gets underrated. I think he gets a little bit more, you know, flack than he deserves. He, he's a number one receiver. Um, you'd love to pair him with another guy like CeeDee Lamb in Dallas, but 
he can stand on his own as a as a number one receiver and a target hog, and uh, and get you good weeks and move the ball down the field. But to go back to the point of Deshaun Watson, this is a significant piece for a quarterback starved organization. Detroit Lions had that same situation before they got Matthew Stafford. You're hoping your Bears have stopped the search with Justin Fields. Deshaun Watson is the 33rd quarterback that Cleveland has used since 1999 when they came back into the league. 33rd. Wow. All right. That's a 23-year span, 33, 10 more quarterbacks than the years that they've been in the leagues. And they've had a hodgepodge. They've had that's, uh, that's starters, right? No, just any yeah, anybody that's played for them. 33rd that has had a starting game. Yeah, starting. starting yeah. Not necessarily week one starters, just starters at some point. Yes, to start at any game, any season. And they've gotcha. had a hodgepodge. They've had Heisman Trophy winners like Johnny, Johnny Manziel and Baker Mayfield and Robert Griffin III. They've had Super Bowl winning quarterbacks like Trent Dilfer and Jacoby Brissett last year. He was a backup for New England. That's why he's a Super Bowl winning quarterback. Uh, Still counts. They've had, they've had oh, pro the, the Garoppolo method. Got it. They've had pro bowlers like Jay DeLong and Jeff Garcia and just everyone in between, you know, Brady Quinn. Jason Campbell. So it's really been a long time coming for them to get somebody in their prime. And last offseason, I really didn't think Cleveland really had a a good shot with the other teams that were in the running for Deshaun Watson. You had Carolina, the Saints, I think 49ers were rumored to be interested, and the Jets. And And it was really bizarre for me to think that Houston would trade in the conference, Uh, even though Houston's not going to sniff the playoffs for a while. It's kind of weird to take your franchise player and trade him within the conference that you could beat him in the playoffs at some, at some point, usually the the go-to is to just trade that quarterback to the other conference. So you're only playing them once every four years in the regular season and you won't meet them unless you're in the Super Bowl. Just one quick note on that is he had a no trade clause. And I think that originally Cleveland had, he ruled Cleveland out. And I think they were going to go to, they're going to send him to Carolina or Atlanta and then Cleveland came back in hard with the Brinks truck and said, we will give your contract fully guaranteed. And he said, what? I like money and I'm going to yeah. have to be, you know. <laughs> so then he waived his no credit clause to go to Cleveland. And I think Cleveland offered the most picks for Houston at that point. And at least it, it might be in conference, but at least it's not division. Right. And I mean, I just say, because this is the first really legitimate quarterback that we've gotten to land in. It was in a trade, but it was kind of just like being choosing our team, which was amazing because the only other time I could have seen that happen was Kurt Warner leaving the Rams and he was going to the Giants. He chose the Giants. I would have loved to have seen him, I think, in 2004, 2005, go to the Cleveland Browns just for just for a year or two and just see, you know, maybe he would have been still part of the corpses that we've, uh, you know, put in the ground there at quarterback. But it would have been cool to see Kurt Warner. Yeah. as a He Cleveland could have Brown. taken you to the Super Bowl like he did Arizona, you know. And um, I agree. I think that people forget how good Deshaun Watson was in, in Houston. He was a top five definitive quarterback and he hasn't played At in a least. couple of years. Yeah. So he's just rusty. Like I'm curious to see what he's going to do this year. And I think they're building around him as if he's going to return to mostly that form. He might not be top five, but if he's a top 10 quarterback, what's the roster they built around him? I think Cleveland is legitimately a uh, stack team, in my opinion, especially if Joe Burrow's injury is more significant than we originally let on. Well, I was going to ask you guys, 
it sounds like we all see Cleveland as a legitimate division title threatening kind of team. So how much better does Watson have to be in order for the Browns playoff dreams to come true in that way? Well, I think the significant thing is he gets to start from day one in camp. He's gotten to work with everybody. He might be able to play in the preseason third game, but he's working hand in hand and lockstep with all the receivers with the offensive line. He's got a top five awesome offensive line, which we'll get to later on. Um, the receivers, they're all young, pretty much, except for Amari Cooper. But it's its one of those situations where I think Kevin Stefanski, you know, he's – and we'll also talk about him a little bit further too. But as far as his approach to things, you can tell that he was a little timid with Baker Mayfield. He was trying to make Baker Mayfield not be – we'll put the game on the line. Last year, Jacoby Brissett is essentially the same thing. You know, Jacoby Brissett is going to play to not lose, not to – win a game so they're overly conservative and i think now he can open the playbook and stefanski can for the first time since he had Kirk cousins really just chuck it all over the yard be flexible get some exotic uh pass uh, packages in there for his offense and really just try to put points on the board so i think this is a really big year for stefanski because i think that he wants to throw the ball more. He wants to revolutionize it. And he's kind of been hamstrung with the pre- previous quarterbacks. Like you said, Jacoby Brissett, I believe they still had a pretty efficient offense when Jacoby Brissett was playing uh, last off season. Uh, they had a very porous run defense, which they've definitely addressed in the off season. But I just think that what I find interesting them and fellow division rival, the former Browns, uh, the Ravens, they are run first teams that seem to be betting on converting into a passing team because we could talk more about this, but they traded their second round pick for Elijah Moore after Mari Cooper was already there. They already have Donovan Peoples Jones. They added Cedric Tillman with the first live pick of their draft at wide receiver out of Tennessee, who I'd like better than wide receiver hyped up wide receiver Jalen Hyatt in uh, New York. And I think that that's a really good receiver core along with Njoku. And at the same time, they still have Chubb, who great one of the best pure runners in the game right now. But they also let Kareem Hunt and Dearness Johnson walk, which tells me that I think they are they want to flip the keys over to Deshaun Watson and let him cook in the way that Russell Wilson never got to. I think they want to bring back that Houston passing offense. And if you give Miles Garrett a lead, I feel bad for the other team's quarterbacks, in my opinion. I agree that this is a gigantic year for Stefanski. This is, I think, a pretty good coaching staff. But if this blows up again with the investment on this roster and the talent at so many different positions, I think Stefanski is going to be the one that pays for it. I'd agree with that. That or the offensive coordinator, Alex Van Pelt. But I know Stefanski gets the final word in in the play calling. But um, Alex Van Pelt, he's kind of wishy-washy right now with the offensive play calling like to see him kind of step it up but again get Watson for a whole year or at least at the start of the year you know you can be a little more creative Um, but what I do really like going back to the receiving core I think it's the deepest receiving core in the National Football League when you go look at the basis of one through eight receivers one through eight their eighth receiver is probably Jakeem Grant 
who you've had Rosie Ooh. in Chicago, and he's more of a return specialist. Big time, fast guy, yeah. And he was uh, with Miami for a while, mostly just return specialist. You know, seventh guy, Anthony uh, Anthony Swartz. You know, he hasn't panned out for being a third-round pick. But he but can run. He can search the defense. I, I, I think if he makes roster. the final roster, that's a great depth piece. You know, Marquise Goodwin, uh, I feel bad for him because of the, the heart condition and the blood clots that came up uh, this offseason. Um, I think they're putting him in on the non-football injury list. And they want to keep him. Another former um, Bear. I liked him. Hoping to he's play this year. You know, he's a good veteran, uh, 30 years old, been in the league, played in systems like uh, the West Coast system, the Cal Shanahan, San Francisco. So he'd be a good sixth receiver. And then, you know, I like David Bell, Cedric Tillman. Um, Cedric Tillman, um, actually, he's been doing some really good things in practice. But um, I see him more as like a Gabriel Davis. He's going to take a little bit of time to develop and go but his size man six foot three 215 pounds and if he didn't have that ankle injury in college in his senior year he probably would have been selected more in the 50 to 65 range where Jaden reed and marvin mims were taken not 74th overall in the third round especially in a draft class with a lot of smaller receivers he was one of the few ones that had size Mm -hmm, definitely and he had he had some good showings the year prior in 2021 um i think he lit up georgia and alabama both for 10 catches and 100 plus yards and a touchdown each of those two games so those are two pro style defenses and where a lot of the the first rounders come from in the last five six years so you know that's that's telling you so you went in eight receivers deep my question is do you consider Demetric felton a receiver or a running back I have him as a running back. I know okay. he's right now slated as a running back. I have him as the running back, but I think he was a receiver you know, in college at USC or UCLA. I I liked him. They ran gimmick plays for him a couple of years ago. Like they'll do jet sweeps on him. And I think with I think you're right. I think he's probably the third guy after uh, Jeremy Jerome Ford, but he could play receiver too if they need to. That just to add to the point where he's he's not even classified as a receiver, and he would be a solid backup receiver in my opinion slot yeah. guy well i i know they need to have the insurance for dick, nick chubb in the backfield but what amazes me about nick chubb is he's been wildly efficient he's had five yards of carry and he only got up to 300 carries this past year he had 302 carries as a career high and that's just amazing for somebody that routinely gets 1400 1500 yards to not even get 300 carries but just a little bit over that last year very different stylistically, but he is very similar to a Barry Sanders of our time, where he is just possibly the best pure rush, rusher of our gen of this gen- current generation. Right. And about a month ago, I would have said he was the most underrated running back because everybody in fantasy season loves to talk about Christian McCaffrey and Austin Eckler. They want to look pass catchers. Dual- yeah, the pass catchers, and then Jonathan Taylor and Derrick Henry and Najee Harris. But it's like Nick Chubb has been solid now for his whole career. So, I mean, there's no denying that Nick Chubb is an incredible running back. I think he's a top, he's in the elite tier, whatever running back, however you break down the running backs. The question that I have about the running back position for Cleveland is what if he goes down? Mm -hmm. Is Jerome Ford enough at backup running back or what do they do to keep him healthy? Well, I don't know if that's if they're just having Kareem Hunt as the very backup plan because uh, he would know the system right away. It wouldn't be that he'd have to just you know, airdrop him in, yeah. learn everything. But possible. 
So, I don't know. They do have a little bit of cap space, and you know, any kind of running back that wants to play is going to have to play on a kind of friendly deal, three, four million if it's a Leonard Fournette. But pass catching, I think you want to have somebody who's, you know, that slasher, that that one that's going to kind of satellite back or something like that for uh, a compliment to Nick Chubb. And Kareem Hunt did all right, but I think it was just the the price point was he probably asking for five or six million a season. I don't know that to, for a fact, but I just think that he probably thought he was worthy of if he was going to be a backup or a second option, he still wanted to kind of get paid as a lower fringe starter money. So I, I, I am actually fascinated by this because what, part of the issue that Hunt had was he finally came up for a contract year, but it looked like he lost a step, which I think is one of the reasons why he's unsigned because you kind of saw his decline a little bit last year. The part that surprises me the most is that they let Dearness Johnson walk to Jacksonville. He played really well for Cleveland two years ago. I mean, he w- he looked elite when he played in a couple starts when both Chubb and Hunt were out. And I think he signed for like $1.5 million in, in Jacksonville. It wasn't a big contract. I'm surprised uh, Cleveland didn't like him. So the best bet I can think of is I think they just – I think they really probably like Jerome Ford out of Cincinnati. I think he's a second-year guy. He must be showing out pretty well in camp. Um, but if not, like you said, they might be confident that they could, if, if things go south, they could sign, they could bring Kareem Hunt back. Leonard Fournette's available. Zeke's available, you know, um, and they might, I don't think they're a Dalvin Cook candidate, but you know, there's, there's guys out there that they think they could probably get, and maybe they're happy with Jerome Ford. I, I'm right. I'd and then there's also the roster cut roster cuts that we got to keep in mind of as well. I mean, Miami, Miami's got an influx of five or six running backs and they might have to cut one or two of them. And Cleveland could be the first one to scoop them up a salad or, you know, something like that. Well, especially like you said, Miami or even the jets have a pretty solid underrated or San Francisco. If I'm somebody, if I'm, if I'm a team and I run any form of the West coast offense, I'm looking at San Francisco and hoping that they drop some, some depth running depth running back. Think about that from a schematic standpoint, they could grab from someone in that tree. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I also think that there's also a possibility that whatever team signs like a Dalvin cook or a Fournette, then becomes a cut candidate, especially like when you hear the jets, like I think Brees Hall's good. He's not going to be cut. Michael Carter's good. He might be cut. He could be pretty solid. Um, I think there's a, there's another guy, uh, Zonovan Knight. And then I forget the guy who has a really long name. It's hard to pronounce. I think he's a rookie. He's been highly hyped in fantasy circles before the draft and the jets took him. So that's a possibility that uh, some of these fallouts of these running backs can shake loose guys, but mm-hmm. I still think they have more confidence in Jerome Ford than we think. Right. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the defense with you guys and ask you some questions. Uh, Looking at it, their weak point seems to be at the second level at linebacker. They're a little bit inexperienced. Um, They only have a second rounder invested in one of their starters. All the other guys have been fourth or fifth rounders. Um, It does seem like they're ailing to get some kind of linebacker. They do have 16 million in cap space. It's one of those situations where with Jim Schwartz, the new defensive coordinator, which it's really cool that he's back with Cleveland because he was a scout back in the early 90s under the regime of Bill Belichick. Um, so it's kind of come full circle now that he gets to be defensive coordinator um, for them. And his speciality is more run defense. And that is something that Cleveland desperately needs in an AFC North where you have running backs like Najee Harris, oh, yeah. Mixon. And then you have Lamar Jackson, who's shifty as all heck, 
And then, you know, Kenny Pickett has some wiggle room too. So, I mean, you're going to have to have linebackers to spy on those guys, but also plug in the holes and the defensive line. That's why I wasn't surprised uh, because Schwartz is their defensive coordinator, that that's what they emphasized on the free agency market, getting on that D line. Uh, they're running a four, three defensive scheme and Zadarius Smith. I totally agree with you guys and your sentiment that you said in an earlier podcast that is pretty much borderline robbery that they got him for only a sixth round pick with Minnesota. And he's in a contract year. He's in a prove it season. Um, and boy, has he proved it already for his career. I mean, it, it's just a situation where Miles Garrett and him can really just wreak havoc and pick your poison type of thing on who you're going to double or chip with the tight end. And just as quick aside before we dive too much into the defense, um, Zadarius Smith, Elijah Moore, and a couple years ago, Amari Cooper, these were all highway robbery trades that were super underrated that I think that whether the Browns turn around or not, these are just great moves that any team should make and should be praised for. Um, and I agree. I think that Miles Garrett, I'm looking at the depth chart. You know, when you add Delvin Tomlinson and Zadarius Smith, suddenly that defensive front looks pretty good, especially with, uh, as you know, the, the rookie uh, Sieka Aika coming out. Baylor might be pretty good too. I mean, can you imagine if, can you imagine if they have both Delvin Tomlinson and Siaki Ika out there in those mm-hmm. tackles on the A gap either side of the center? You ain't running yeah, on that'd that. That'd be massive. That's like 750 pounds right there that you're going to have to run oh, into or just avoid entirely on the line. Now, those but, guys engulf uh, double blocks. But to what your point was earlier, like I'm looking at the depth chart right now with the linebackers and even the safeties. And other than JOK, uh, I think it's pronounced Jeremiah Uwusu. I'm not going to try to pronounce it. Uwusu Koromara. Yeah. Koro, yeah. Okay. JOK. He's the only guy I can remember. And I know he was pretty highly driving. He was a second rounder you're talking about. Really talented. Yeah, Notre Dame. Yeah. I'm not sure he's panned out, but he also, I think he's in the second or third year, third or fourth year where I think that's where he could make the leap. So I think if he makes a big leap, that's going to fill a huge void in the middle of the defense. Cause they have, you know, Greg Newsom and Denzel Ward at, at cornerback. And I, I don't, I, I don't know who these safeties are to be honest. I'm just going to say it, but I think well, I that, really love the actually the safety group, Grant Delbit, who, who uh, like, he was an LSU teammate of Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. Okay, on their okay. LSU championship team. Uh, he tore his Achilles in his rookie season, so he lost that. He's in a contract mm. year now, only he's a third-year veteran. Mm. And he had a really quietly, a very nice season, 105 tackles, four interceptions. Uh, nice. Juan Thornhill, though, they're pairing him up. He was my mm. number four free agent safety uh, oh. behind um, C.J. gardner Darnson and Jace, uh, Jesse Bates and Von Bell. So Thornhill, he's been in three Super Bowls with KC. He's had 850 snaps each of the first four seasons of his career. And he's just somebody that's going to get better. He's 25, 26 years old. So I think that's a good combo that they can have right there. So Yeah, you sold me on the on the back sec on the secondary. So I think the big thing is going to be can JOK make a leap forward mm-hmm. um and self solidify the center of the defense? Because that seems like the weakest spot is the second level, like you said. And I don't know how much they did to address that. I'm trying. Well, I'm trying to put out in the universe that Devin White, his team in Tampa Bay, or his representation, has put out that he wanted to get traded before the draft, and he's still kind of disgruntled with how Tampa Bay's in flux. They don't know how they're going to finish in the uh, NFC South or in the conference in general. So maybe we can go ahead and trade away a third or fourth, and then a first, the 
following year in 2025 to get Devin White as our Mike linebacker and then moves Darius Smith, or sorry, I moves um, JKO into a different spot there or be our depth, number one depth piece. I think that would be an amazing pickup and that would be a great final piece because I, I think we can transition into this into what we think about this, the uh, Brown season as a whole. Their over-under is nine wins out of a 17-game season. Seth, do you want to lead us off or do you want to be the anchor leg on this one? Oh, I'll be the anchor because I think I'm going to just blow your guys' mind. <laughs> All right, so Joe, go first. What's your take? Nine wins, tough division. 4,800 yards, 33 touchdowns, and seven picks. That was the last full season for Deshaun Watson in Houston, and that was without DeAndre Hopkins. Yep, correct. 4,800 yards, 33 touchdowns, seven picks. If he is anywhere close to that in Cleveland this year, this is a double-digit win team. They have the pass rush. They have the secondary. They have the running game to make awful things happen to you when you when they are ahead. I am over nine on this team in this division, especially if Burrow misses any time. But mm-hmm. I'm over nine for sure on this team. Beautiful. So- Yep. So my take is I'm similar. I I'm buying the bounce back on Watson because I know we haven't seen him play in a couple of years, but Michael Vick didn't play for two or three years and he had an all world season in Philadelphia under Andy Reed. And we've seen it. I think he didn't play much his first year back out of prison, but he played great. And I think Watson will regain that form. And I think that I'm taking the over. I think they're going to finish ahead of Pittsburgh and uh, Baltimore and the division is going to be a battle of Ohio. And a lot of it's going to come down to, uh, you know, how healthy Burrow is. So, okay. Seth, so what's your take? I will preference and say that the AFC North routinely, and that's why it's called the black and blue division, right? Is incredibly tough every year, physical games in division games. It's a, it's a bloodbath. Mm-hmm. I think this could be the greatest division in NFL history where all four teams get 11 wins at least. Now, I think two teams are going to miss the playoffs because the other conferences, I think the West, I'm not so sure now about Denver, but I think in the AFC East could have three teams. So I'm thinking Cincinnati and Pittsburgh, 11 and six, but miss the playoffs entirely. So it comes down to Cleveland and Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And I think Cleveland's going to take it. They're going to win the the AFC North for the first time in the existence of that division. Uh, it came to be in 2002 when Houston came into the league, and then they readjusted all the divisions. So the AFC North was born. Cleveland has been last, fourth, uh, 14 times. They've been second only twice. And then the rest of the time, they've been third uh, when Cincinnati was dog crap. So... I think they're going to go to 15 wins, 15 and two, if I'm going to put a number on it. Now, if I'm betting, I will just bet the over. I don't want to give yourself a six win buffer. Yeah, I don't, I don't advocate to, to bet them for 15 wins, but I'm one of those. I do look a little bit at the schedule. They have a fourth place schedule that helps them out tremendously. They have four games of their first six at home. 
Uh, they have three games within the division, so they can get early jump. And take the points. Don't do the money line. I think they got two losses for <laughs> sure. One at Baltimore, one at Cincinnati, uh, Seattle. I think that's week eight and ten. And you know, honestly, it's just a fun, fun little thing. I know they're going to get over uh, ten win- or nine wins. They're going to make the playoffs. But why not just say, hey, they're going to have the greatest season that they've ever had. Uh, since the Super Bowl era. so In my opinion, it's definitely within the realm of possibilities. And it's funny to me when I break down the rosters, the biggest pause that I have, and I think Pittsburgh and Baltimore are good. I just think they have the best coaches in the division, which is throws a monkey wrench. But like Baltimore's kind of quietly old. They got a lot of old borderline busted guys, especially at defense and running back. And I'm not sure I've sold on the Zay Flowers, Rashad Bateman, OBJ trio. I like the Steelers and uh, Browns receiver core better, obviously the Bengals. So I, I, I agree. I, 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 I'm still, I don't know if I said if I'd pick the Browns over the Bengals, but I think I'm picking the Browns to win the division too myself, um, which is blasphemy because I like all three, I like all four of them, but. And to Joe's point though, Stefanski, I mean, this, this is what makes it so wild to me and it makes the most interesting team because their variance is they could go five and 12 just as easily as I say, they can go 15 and two. They have like a 10 oh, win yeah. radius. Oh yeah. And other than, other than Baltimore, if Jackson gets hurt, this is the team in the division with the lowest floor. Right. Yeah. And, and Stefanski, believe it or not, I looked up the numbers. I thought he was more of a calculated coach. I'm like, you know what? Dan Campbell is the hoorah guy and the Brandon Staley over in Los Angeles, the Chargers. He's going for it on fourth down all the time. Stefanski actually led the league last year in attempted fourth down conversions and completed fourth down conversions. Speaking of and that, that to me was not something I would have thought because he just doesn't seem like he doesn't take any chances. And he had Jacoby Brissett as his quarterback. So it's not really like, what's he saying? That oh, this was a complete pass, incomplete pass. It's Jacoby Brissett. It's an incomplete pass. You know, I mean, what are you talking about? Well, underrated efficient offense under Jacoby Brissett. I think they helped him get a lot of hype going into backing up uh, Washington, I think he's at. But um, so real quick, so we got the Cleveland stuff. Did you give your pecking order for the NFC North? You, you teased it earlier. I don't I don't think I think we kind of breezed through it. What was your take on the overall division? Since right. you, you mentioned. Well, I'm, I'm with you guys in lock and step that Minnesota is going to have a down year. I think they finish fourth. Detroit, I'm one of those. I got to believe it when I see it type of thing. Uh, I want Dan Campbell to be authoritative but also be a diplomat when it comes to his craziness with the fourth down i don't want to see him going for it on fourth and four at their own 37 yard line if it's not like you know if it's the second quarter when there's plenty of game left to go you know just punt the ball you know punters can be your friends sometimes uh i do have the packers i had the packers going 10 and 7 unfortunately and it's not necessarily too much about jordan love it's about that defense controlling things um, they're probably going to be one of those that plays the zone that they don't want to get the big play giving up. Uh, they want everything to be in front of them. And then just that two back combo. I like Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon, AJ Dillon in the contract year. I think LaFleur, you know, I think LaFleur is not going to be so cocky to try to prove people wrong that he can win with that out Aaron Rodgers. I think he's just going to go ahead, work to his system, still run the ball heavily, have Jordan Love shine a little bit so i I don't think jordan love's going to be crazy i think he might throw 22 touchdowns and 
maybe 13 picks. But as long as it's in the realm of they're not dangerous picks or they're just kind of maybe, you know, treated more like putts, you know, he's just trying to do a wild throw and it goes 60 yards and get picked off. Mm -hmm. So I I do have Green Bay winning the division and being the only representation team in the NFC North uh, for the playoffs this year. But I do have Chicago second. Chicago second at seven and ten. Oh, you have Chicago ahead of Detroit. Do you have Detroit less than seven or seven? I have them at seven and 10 as well, but I think the tiebreaker is going to go to Chicago. Interesting. Well, Joe, while you think about yours, I'm going to say I'm going Detroit, Chicago, Green Bay, and then Minnesota. And I think Green Bay is going to be a solid like seven or eight, seven to 10, seven to nine win team somewhere in there where they're just going to be decent. They can lean on, you know, Aaron, uh, the, the running game, but I don't think their defense is, is there. Um, they've been pretty disappointed the last couple of years underratedly, and I'm not sure they get it together. So what, what's your take on it since this is our last uh, of the four previews for the uh, NFC North, Joe? I do think Detroit's the best team in the division, but it's really close. I think the Packers, Bears, and Vikings all have aspects of their team that are exceptional. With the Vikings, it's their passing offense. With the Bears, it's their dynamic rushing. With the Packers, it's their the deep pass defense that can make horrible things happen to you if they get ahead. Mm-hmm. But the lions have a lot of things going for them too. The, they can run the ball on anybody, including green Bay. The weakness of the green Bay defense is running right at them. I feel like Chicago is going to be a problem for a team like Detroit, which if Detroit has a weakness, it's also running game. Uh, but and I don't think they solved it with the defensive tackles. They no, I don't think so either. So I do feel like the Chicago games are going to, and against Detroit are going to be very competitive. But at the end of the day, I think Detroit is a more complete team at this point in their in their build, at least for this year. Next year, we'll see. And then Minnesota, I just think is a sieve defensively. So unless Minnesota can outscore you, then you're probably going to beat Minnesota this year. And to your point, I think all three of Minnesota's divisional opponents have the running game to get up on them. I think Aaron Jones, Dylan, and the Green Bay has an underrated offensive line. I think, you know, David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs, as well as the Bears runnings that we talked about, could all exploit and play from ahead. So I'm not surprised that that's why I think. And it's not even a knock. I don't even think I'm not taking like did Minnesota win three games or something like that. I think they might be a six or seven win team, but I think that's good enough for last. But unlike the NF- AFC North, I don't see them all winning 11 games like Seth does. Well, the AFC North, I don't think you see the NFC North doing that, but no, I think I, it is a competitive division too. But I think just about might... everybody in the division is going to be between seven and 10 wins. I think that's fair. I'm a little higher. I could see Chicago and Detroit get into that 11 or 12 win if things go well. There was a time that I would have been a little higher on Detroit, but I'm a little bit concerned right now with wide receiver depth and run defense. Oh, the JMO news. Come on, man. Uh, the JMO news. All's, we, we heard all the same stuff uh, uh, for jo- um, Jamar Chase as a rookie in camp. He couldn't catch a ball without a stripe on it. And all he did was tear up the world the last couple of years. That's what Jamison Williams is going to be, right? As, according to the defenders. Well, Jamison <laughs> Williams. Jamar Chase was also not suspended six games for gambling. So I just don't. I hope he doesn't do the Plaxico Burris shoot himself in the foot thing. 
<laughs> Literally. <laughs> True. All right. Uh, well, I want to give the last word to back to the Cleveland Browns here, who are about to inject the beloved Joe Thomas into the NFL Pro Football Hall of Fame. So they're going to be heading down to Canton over the next couple of days. They got the Hall of Fame game that they will be participating in against, I believe, the Jets. Mm-hmm. Correct. So that will be a lot of fun for the people up in Cleveland. Just a short drive down 77. Uh, and to celebrate one of the all-time great offensive linemen and just as good of a human being. So congratulations to them. Congratulations also to you, Seth, for just an incredible episode here. Thank you for joining us. This has been remarkable and i think you've really elevated the show here oh i appreciate you guys and uh, it's just fun to talk about the cleveland browns it really is i mean it's life and sports is better when the cleveland browns are in the mix (laughs) to get involved in the conversation email is midwest football podcast at gmail.com we're always listening for your comments suggestions and try and get stuff into the show Uh, Thank you to Raymond for our intro and outro music. Uh, Get his album, Call to Me, wherever digital music is sold. Thanks to Chris Brandley for our logos. An incredible job as always. Thanks for listening. All of our wonderful listeners who spend time with us in any given week, we appreciate every single one of you, whether you are in Canada, United States, Germany, France, wherever you listen on the go, on the phone, on your computer, thank you. But that is all the time we have. We're going to be focusing more on weekly news and a little bit of fantasy football prep for those of you who are uh, getting ready for your fantasy football drafts over the next couple weeks. We're going to be especially digging into the quarterbacks and tight ends next week in uh, fantasy and a little bit of some of the teams that we haven't talked about outside the Midwest. We'll get a little bit more coverage there. Uh, Until next time, though, that's all the time we have. It's time to take it into the locker room for the fifth quarter, and we will see you later. Miss you already. 